As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Adam Crafton back with us this week. Coming up later in the pod, we'll hear how Paris Saint-Germain kept hold of Kylian Mbappe and how Real Madrid can recover after missing out on their prime target. And Phil Hay will join us in a much better mood than last week after Leeds managed to avoid relegation from the Premier League. Let's start the pod at the top then. Manchester City have won the fourth Premier League title in five years after Pep Guardiola's side beat Aston Villa 3-2 on a dramatic final day. Sam Lee was there for the Athletic and joins us now. Guardiola summed it up afterwards by saying it's like the service game to win Wimbledon. It's the most difficult, the tennis players say, and it was the same for us today. Does that sum it up? Yeah, I think it does. They obviously did struggle a bit with the occasion, doing their normal thing, playing their normal game, imposing themselves, scoring the early goals. They've scored 18 goals in the first 15 minutes this season. In 15 different games, it's been a feature of what they've done. It's helped establish themselves in games. But yeah, they couldn't do that. As Guardiola says, Yeah, the, the occasion was, was somewhat difficult for them. But to come back in a way that they don't normally do, you know, the last time they came back from two goals down to win a Premier League game was 17 years ago, that Norwich let's be have a new game. That's how long ago it was. Phil Foden was four years old, just coming up to his fifth birthday. That was the last time they did it. So yeah, that's exactly how it was. Just maybe the expected result, City winning the match, but a completely unexpected circumstances. Is that the most emotional Guardiola's been at a title? At a title, yes. I mean, the way that this one was done, because obviously last season was done at a cancer, won very early again. Um, the way this one was done at the Etihad, in those circumstances, I think by far the most emotional title um, and certainly the most emotional celebrations for sure. And for him in particular, it, it feels big on a, in a variety of ways. I mean, obviously the you know the the dominance of the era, you know the comeback as you've talked about. I also think that in a season where Guardiola's subs have been questioned at times or lack of subs <laughs> yeah. have been questioned at times, Crystal Palace was one. West Ham was another, wasn't it, like last weekend's week, time, yeah. that actually his his changes yesterday were the reason why City actually came back to win it. Yeah, but I have to say, there was, I think there was an element of 
of fixing something that was broken in the first place. And I would say broken partly because of the, the team selection. I think the obvious one with that is Fernandinho. I thought it was very strange to play um, John Stones at right back. You finally got a centre-back, one of your top centre-backs back fit, available to mm. play. And you play him at right back. So Fernandinho, who can't play at centre back, could play centre back. At, at least just play Fernandinho at right back if it has to happen. Look, if Guardiola was here, he'd give us a million reasons why it was a good idea, and we'd probably agree. But that felt weird to me, and it obviously needed addressing. And fair play to Guardiola, having, in my view, made the mistake. He made the, the tough decision to say to Fernandinho on his last ever City appearance, Look, mate, you're coming off. It's not going well. And the other two, yeah. Um, because, again, talking about the subs and the scrutiny. If City hadn't won that game, there would have been a lot of questions about Grealish. Grealish not getting on the pitch um, against Aston Villa. A lot of people maybe expected him to start, especially with City lacking that um, kind of attacking spark, get him to come on. And when Sterling came on instead, you start thinking, how must he be feeling? But if you look at the subs that were made beyond Zinchenko coming on so Stones could play centre-back, City obviously decided the, the way they were attacking the spaces in the first half with Cancelo on the left on the corner of the box and Mahrez on the right corner of the box cutting inside. It wasn't really leading anywhere. They were getting funneled down the middle. There was no spaces. It wasn't the right way to do it. So Guardiola fixed it. He put Raheem Sterling on so he's got the right footer on the right wing and he can play there. Grealish, if he plays, he plays on on the left cutting inside onto his right but City didn't need that. They had Foden who could play, could play on the left and keep the width there. And then obviously Gundogan coming on for Bernardo. You'd look at you know, a kind of deep line midfielder for deep line midfielder. Gundo, um, Bernardo, sorry, was the one dropping deep to tie everything together alongside Rodri. Gundogan coming on, you think, okay, what's what's the thing here? But effectively, he was bringing him on as as somebody with a striker's instincts. He said he's the one in the squad that best understands those runs to make. He said those runs into the box, arriving into the box, you can't be a second too early, you can't be a second too late. It needs to be at the exact right moment. So basically what Guardiola did was change how they attacked those spaces out wide we saw that perfectly with the cross for the for the first goal from from Sterling to stand it up, and then Gundogan to attack those balls inside, make those runs through the middle, and get there at the right time, and it all tied together absolutely perfectly. And Zinchenko was fantastic when he came on as well. Obviously, Gundogan scored the goals, but St- I thought Sterling was sensational when he came on. In terms of, I still think he's underrated, Raheem Sterling, as in that you know this, this actually the, the scope of the achievements that he's now got both for Manchester City and for England. And even in these some of these really big games, Pep still doesn't pick him. I know that's because they've got this fantastic squad. But I thought he he was such an impact when he came on. And just having the confidence when you're 2-0 down to, to take someone on to get that cross in, I thought he showed real personality. This would have been a trophyless season for City. I can't has Pep ever had a trophyless season? His first season at City. And that's the only one. If they'd have lost yesterday how do you think this season would have been looked at? Yeah, very interesting um, because I, I'd kind of thought about that before the game and I thought, well, let's not go too far down that route. There will be plenty of time for that if it happens. And then at 2-0 down, I was starting to formulate. I was like, what am I going to write? How am I going to kind of digest this and, and analyse it? You would talk about the alternatives and where it goes from here and Guardiola's contract, but he's still obviously got that year left and maybe all of a sudden you'd start thinking, oh, what's going to happen with that? But I think the big thing is Haaland and knowing that Haaland was to come in would kind of condition anything, any kind of concerns about what's just happened in terms of had it been a trophy this season. So I think there's that element. But yeah, the, the season in itself, 
look, you saw the reaction to the Real Madrid game. Uh, it was it was as if you know it was the biggest embarrassment to have ever happened in football. Um, look, sh- look, it shouldn't have happened, but it does. That's football. The way that City came back yesterday, three goals in five minutes. It's just it's momentum. It's football. It's emotions. It, it's energy. It happens. That that's you know that's something you can't legislate for. But the reaction to that Real Madrid game was as if. You know, this was some kind of deep-rooted failing in, in Guardiola, deep-rooted failing in, in the project. You know, we keep being told how much this, the, the club are desperate to win it, that it's, the, you know, that it's the only reason Guardiola, or was the main reason Guardiola was brought to the club, all these kind of things. And that was just for the Champions League. So imagine the Premier League, which people did not really take for granted, but it's the one thing that City do win. It's the one crutch that they had left to rely on. And it was the one crutch they had to rely on this season because they didn't win the Carabao for the first time in five years. Got to another FA Cup semi-final, but didn't have enough to get over the line. So that league title was basically holding everything up, and you kick that crutch away, and there wouldn't have been a lot left. So, it, but it, it depends who you ask. You know, people would have said it's an, it's an embarrassment, it's a it's a failure, and I suppose you would you would say that. On the flip side as well, you've got Liverpool who would have won at least the three domestic trophies, quite possibly the quadruple, and all of a sudden you've got City, this fantastically assembled, expensively assembled team with the best manager around and the best players around suddenly winning nothing and a team assembled for, you know, quite a bit of money, but less money um, with, a, with a manager who's more kind of raw and human and emotional and all this than Guardiola is and more people seem to relate to Klopp more. All of a sudden, this team has outdone City in this this whole project. It you know, it would have been very, very, very difficult to swallow. But if you, if you look, if you had have looked at it and gone, okay, they lost in Carabao Cup on penalties, fine. FA Cup semi-final between the two. Well, after the a really difficult Madrid game, mistake from the goalkeeper, fine. Champions League semi-final, we discussed that. Football is mad, it happens. Then losing the title on the last day, if you start saying, okay, well, that's football, it can happen. You know, it, it sounds like you're making one excuse too many. And, you know, the... The, the demand for the reaction, the demand for the, the inquest and what went wrong and who's to blame and who needs to go and what about Guardiola, it would have been huge. Thank you, Sam. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's move on to Kylian Mbappe, then who signed a new three-year contract with Paris Saint-Germain. How on earth did PSG manage this, Adam, first of all? Although although when I say how on earth did they manage this, the way I phrase that question makes it sound like they're the plucky underdogs in all of this, which of course they're not. No, they're not. I mean, it's... What happened was we everyone had come to expect that it was almost this inevitability that Kylian Mbappe would join Real Madrid. And that's mostly because it's the way that the Madrid media for the past two years has, has framed it. You know, Mbappe is going to go to Madrid. It's the biggest club in the world, biggest, probably going to be the biggest player in the world along with Haaland. Where else would he go? Why would he even dream of going somewhere else? And the reality is it's always been a bit more complicated than that. There's been no point over the past 18 months where PSG have, you know, when you speak to them, have said, this is gone. This is something which we can't pull back. They first thought they would get Mbappe signed up before the Euros last year. They thought it was pretty much done. They were told 
by his camp, you know, this is something we expect to happen. He then went to the Euros and the suspicion at that time was he'll go to the Euros, score a few goals, drive up his value, get another zero on the end of that contract and stay at PSG. The, the problem was the Euros went wrong for him. He didn't score a goal. He missed the crucial penalty against Switzerland and France went out of the competition. And there was this, there was a backlash against him in France. I mean, the first game of PSG season, he was actually booed by supporters, partially, I think, because of the contract dispute, partially because of his performances for France. You then had the situation last summer where Madrid came in very, very late in the window with a 160 million euros offer, which was turned down by PSG. And at the time, there was a huge amount of criticism saying, how can a club turn down 160 million for a player who could be leaving in 10 months for free? How can any club that runs sustainably turn that down? There was then a bit of confusion because you had people in Madrid saying there's been a second offer and a third offer. And at PSG, they said those offers never formally arrived. So was there a case of, I suppose, Madrid trying to give the impression to Mbappe, look, we've done everything we can this summer in terms of transfer offers, but PSG just won't let you come. And therefore, we are in the driving seat next summer when it comes to making your mind up. We've shown we really, really want you, but we just can't, we can't get that deal done with PSG. And at the same time, PSG signed Messi, and a load of more players last summer. And they're thinking, we'll go and have a real crack at the Champions League. And if we do that, even if Mbappe goes, it's been worth it. What happened is kind of the opposite. PSG collapsed in the Champions League. Madrid reached the final. You watch Madrid this season, it's like, you know, they've been really good. Do they need Mbappe? Yes, probably long-term, but they've not been screaming for him in the way that PSG have been. Then over the last couple of weeks, it sounded like Madrid would get the deal done, but they never had it done. You know, I think they probably had an agreement of sorts in terms of the ballpark figures involved. By Thursday night, PSG were extremely confident. It still wasn't done. They only got his signature on very late on Saturday afternoon. But, you know, as of Friday, they were already planning sort of this announcement on the pitch. He obviously scores a hat trick. And you're now in a situation where arguably the best player in the world has now become the highest paid player in the world. The figures involved are extraordinary. You know, talking 40 million euros a year minimum, as well as a huge signing on fee, reports of that being worth hundreds of millions. From his point of view, he has negotiated this incredibly well. It was his mum who was at the heart of the negotiations. One other thing on this, I mean, the the sums are eye-watering, as you've mentioned. Does he have greater control over the club with this deal? Certainly the suggestions in Spain are that he's basically been handed the keys to the kingdom at PSG in terms of coaches and signings and things like that. PSG are pushing back very hard on that, as you would expect them to, because it's not something they would want people to know if it's true. I think it's probably somewhere in between. Some, you know, If you have an employee that you really, really value to your business and that is key to your business, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong in having conversations with that employee every so often about, you know, we're thinking about this guy as a manager. Do you think that's a good idea? I think that's different to Kylian Mbappe has decided that Zinedine Zidane should be the next PSG manager. So I think there's probably like a real life aspect somewhere in between that makes a bit more sense. PSG are also having a real clear out this summer. Mauricio Pochettino is likely to leave. Sporting director Leonardo is on his way out. The big changes in things, you know, marketing department, communications department, women's team, they want to try and change the culture of the club. Whether you can change the culture of the club after, you know, the deal that they've just 
done over this weekend is another debate entirely. And, you know, we know the president Nasser al-Khalifi is very hands-on, whether that's healthy or not, we're not quite sure, but there are going to be, cha- there are going to be big changes, There'll be a lot of people leaving the club, a bit like at Manchester United. And it's about, can they get the right people in to replace them? Let's bring Dermot Corrigan into this, who covers Spanish football for the Athletic. Real Madrid are a bit pissed off, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's they're going through the, the seven stages at the minute, and um, from like surprise through grief to, to anger, and I'm not sure exactly where they're going to end up. But yeah, Madrid were short. Like one thing that that Adam left off that the the very comprehensive uh, rundown of, of how things played out is Mbappe himself saying back in October that he really wanted to to join Madrid last summer. That he had the agreement was there. He was hoping that Paris Saint Germain would. Would accept the bids or bid or bids, whatever it was that that Madrid had made for him. From Madrid's point of view, they they were sure that he wanted to come to play for them. Then, as the way the games went in February and March, you know, Mbappe was the best player on the pitch, almost won it for, for Paris Saint Germain. But Madrid, everything about their team, the club, the Bernabeu, everything that that happened there, they thought that you know, how is he going to? How could he not want to co- come and join us? How could he stay in this this kind of cold? Gilded cage is what they, they talk about it in Paris that he gets loads of money and and um, but he's playing you know Mets and is that really going to to fulfil him? So they were sure up until last week. Everybody you talked to around Madrid was sure that that he's going to come. They didn't want to put too much pressure on. They were aware that you know Macron, the French president, was calling Mbappe that the Emir of of Qatar was getting involved, but they were still sure that he was going to come. Then just late last week, it's that confidence started to. To, to run out and then by Friday when he was at the Bernabeu for, for the game you know everybody's pretty sure he wasn't going to come so yeah they're they're very 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 disappointed and upset and and it's hard for for people in Madrid especially at the club or even for Madrid fans to understand why he's going to stay and that's why it comes out it must be just for the money but yeah they're, they're upset but there's also a, a key dimension to this in that so many of the decisions that Real Madrid have taken over the past two years have been guided by this absolute belief that Mbappe would join the club. So, and, you know, we, we saw that with a lot of the players that they moved on last summer. You know, they left themselves incredibly short in defence. I mean, they've turned out, I think, to be pretty good decisions in terms of Varane being sold for decent money to Man United, Ramos going, doing absolutely nothing at PSG, bringing in, you know, only El Abba in, in that position and, and Camavinga. You know, they've made huge money through sales and it was all to go towards paying for Mbappe. At the same time, you've also had COVID hit and the stadium rebuilds. They've had a lot of costs to try and bring in. The biggest issue over the last few months has been Erling Haaland, who has gone to Manchester City. But there's a lot of people close to City who who really feared that his number one choice this summer, if it was on the table, would have been Real Madrid. Haaland had offers you know, from Bayern Munich, from uh, Barcelona, from PSG, as you would expect. Liverpool made an inquiry. But w- with Real Madrid... If they weren't going to get Mbappe, they can't not get Haaland as well. This is, you know, this is this is Real Madrid who get the best players in the world at the best moments. And what happened was City were so fearful that if this went into the summer, that Madrid would make their move, that City acted really, really quickly to get it done. And at that stage, Madrid still thought they'd get Mbappe. And the ideal situation for Madrid has been we get Mbappe this summer. And then Dortmund uh, maybe keep Haaland for one more year, and then we get both of them within within sort of uh, uh, twelve to fifteen months. That was the ideal. I mean, that was it was on the back page of the front page of Marker around Christmas time that you know 
that Real Madrid could get both these players. And for them to end up with neither of them it is, is unfortunately, you know, a spectacular failure. And I think it also says something about the direction of European football, which is the whole of the discussion about the power of clubs such as Manchester City and PSG now to get these deals done. And, you know, if you, if you speak to City, uh, they'll say, you know, Haaland's not on any more than Kevin De Bruyne is on. PSG were very keen to point out that Real Madrid's offer, when you take into account image rights, signing fees, everything involved, they felt was fractionally higher than PSG's. I'd take that with a massive pinch of salt. But there is a real debate here about, I suppose, the, the which are the most attractive clubs in European football now for the best players in the world. And it looks like it's City and PSG. Florentino would, would definitely agree with you about that, about how it's come down to the, the legacy clubs or the traditional clubs as Madrid view themselves against the state on the Super League comes into that as well. That a big, if you believe the the argument from the Super League people and from Florentino, it's that we need to do something. UEFA are unable to to stop Man City and stop Paris Saint-Germain. And, you know, you look at the, the decisions when UEFA have tried to come in and sanction City and Paris Saint-Germain hasn't gone too well. Seferin is a big power broker at, at UEFA now as well. And and on just the Mbappe, for Florentino himself, it's been so personalised that he was the man who was going to bring Mbappe to, to Madrid. They were going to rebuild the stadium. It's going to be the best stadium in the world, the glitziest stadium. It's going to have the biggest star, Mbappe. And Mbappe is going to bring in the sponsors. He's going to bring extra VIPs to the games. He's going to you know, revolutionise, bring Madrid back to, to where they believe that they should be, which is as the, the most attractive place, the, the biggest club in the world, and missing out on him. You know, maybe they would have gone for Haaland. If Mbappe had you know, signed for for Panza, re-signed for Paris Saint-Germain back in January, I assume Madrid would have went all in for Haaland. They would have tried everything they could possibly do to get him to come. They weren't even that disappointed when he signed for City. It was kind of like, okay, you know, we don't have to worry about that now. It, it kind of showed Mbappe that you're our man. We're, we're going all in for you. We know that you want to come to visit us so, or to come and stay here, so we're not even that worried about missing out on Haaland. Now it just gets extra embarrassing and extra difficult for them, and it's going to be super interesting to see how they react. The wider point as well is La Liga getting involved, which, I mean, I can't, well, either of you may correct me here, but I can't remember a league getting involved on behalf of a club over a transfer before. And by the way, who are they speaking for, La Liga, when they weigh in on this? It was amazing because this statement came through before it was announced. That the, the headline of this statement was like La Liga statement on the possible announcement of Mbappe staying at Paris Saint-Germain. And I'd had a conversation with, with some contacts around La Liga earlier in the afternoon. And after Javier Tebas had put out a tweet saying, you know, PSG are a danger to modern football. It's as much of a threat as the Super League. Just sort of saying to them, you know, it's quite unusual for a league to, to, to talk on behalf of one of its clubs. I mean, can you imagine, I don't know, Manchester United missed out on Ronaldinho in 2003 and the Premier League's Richard Scudamore putting out a statement saying how outrageous it is. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, and it shows how powerful Real Madrid and Barcelona are in La Liga and to that league. And I think it also shows the insecurity of La Liga over the fact they don't have Ronaldo and Messi anymore. They'd have been thinking we could have uh, Mbappe and Haaland within a year or so. What does that do to our broadcast rights, our commercial arrangements? You know, at the same time, La Liga's commercial operation is continuing to grow, but nowhere near the rate of the Premier League. And, and, and I think that's where the fear comes in. But I think there is also a deeply personal view held by Tebas at La Liga that 
the state-backed clubs, City and PSG, are distorting and inflating the transfer market. And those clubs, City and PSG, would argue, well, we're not responsible for the fact that Barcelona are in over a billion pound of debt. And we're not responsible for the fact that, you know, Real Madrid have been accused over the years of benefiting from some state support as well. It was just a remarkable statement. And they're saying, you know, we're going to file a complaint to UEFA, file a complaint in the, I think, in the French courts and also in the European courts. And it's like, well, what, what specifically for? What is that specifically for, Dermot? Tevis likes to get involved in, in any kind of political battle or likes to see himself in the headlines. He, he's not short of, of making comments. He's not, he might be a Real Madrid fan, but he's not doing it to support Real Madrid himself. And, and Florentino Perez don't get on at all. They have their own legal battles that are, that are flying around. Last year, Tabas did come out, made a similar enough statement around when Messi was, was leaving to, to go to Paris Saint-Germain about how they're, they're breaking FFP. Tabas has put in a lot of rules in La Liga, which have... Um, you know, we've seen with Barcelona how they've found it difficult to register players even after they sign them. He's big on to putting in financial controls that it works. And he's kind of associated with that in Spain. That's kind of his big idea for, for sorting out Spanish football, which has worked pretty well on sorting out the finances of the smaller clubs. Spanish football is generally, you know, not as much in debt, paid taxes, things like that, that it, that it used not to do. But he does see, again, that there's nobody in control of, of City and, and Paris Saint-Germain that if, if they're allowed to just go and spend, no matter what they want, the financial fair play in Europe, doesn't really seem to work, which doesn't really seem to work from, from this perspective, then La Liga itself is already up against it against the Premier League that Spanish clubs are, are going to be in trouble. Would Barcelona in this situation go, hang on a minute, or would actually Barcelona go, actually, that's a good, that's a good point because of the, you know, the need, as, as Adam highlights, the need for the commercial side of La Liga continuing to fall behind the Premier League. Barcelona fans are going to be happy that Mbappe is not coming to Madrid because, you know, Barcelona team is already a lot worse than, than the Madrid team, even though they, they won that, that Clásico. So from their point of view, they don't want it. Laporta, if you bring him for the, the rising tide lifts all boats, then it will be good for, for La Liga to get somebody like Mbappe. They are missing. Since Ronaldo and Messi left, Neymar left as well, they are missing. Um, out on that, those kind of big stars, Benzema's coming to the end of his career, Modric as well. You know, Barcelona are going to have to, um, you know, we'll see whether they can sign Lewandowski or not this summer, but they need to, to get a big star in. On the thing that um, Barcelona have got into trouble themselves, you know, that La Liga should look, look at their own financial problems. Barcelona got into trouble a lot in trying to match Paris Saint-Germain. The Neymar deal when, when Neymar left for, for Barcelona was a big, big reason why they got into the trouble that they did. They made lots of stupid mistakes and misspent money on people like Dembélé and Coutinho, but it was trying to chase what they saw as the top of the market, which had been set by, by Paris Saint-Germain. So again, Tevis has made that argument himself. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Burnley have been relegated from the Premier League after Leeds beat Brentford 2-1 on the final day of the season and uh, Burnley lost at home to Newcastle, of course. Our Leeds writer, Phil Hay, was at Brentford for the Athletic and is with us now. You look a little perkier than you did when we recorded a chat this time last week. Oh, that's good of you to say. I, I sometimes wonder whether you get me on this at intermittent points just to see what the ageing process is like, really. Rap, rapid and harsh. Yeah, I mean, you do look very old, but I'm just <laughs> saying you look a bit perkier than you did than you did last week. I'm probably a lot older than I did last summer. It's, it, <laughs> it's just been it's been a hellish season for Leeds, and, and that's been really the, the one the one high point of it, just when they needed it. I mean, it's quite funny going down to London yesterday. It was very hard to find anybody who thought they were going to stay up. There were a lot of people who were just taking the attitude that what's the worst that can happen if you hope it's all going to be fine? But it was people speaking with their hearts rather than their heads, really, particularly after the, the Burnley result at Villa on Thursday night. And in the end, it, it just fell their way in the way that it does on, on the final day sometimes. And it was kind of a final day to beat all day, all final days right across the country. Uh, what changes for the club now? In a lot of respects, very little and far less than would have changed had they gone down. If, if they'd been relegated, they'd have lost control of an awful lot of situations and you know, they'd have had Rafinha under contract, they'd have had Calvin Phillips under contract, but saying that they're under contract doesn't change the fact that they're not likely or, or in, in any way keen to play for you in the championship. You'd have other players who you can't afford, you'd have your budget cut, um, you'd, you'd have all things like your, your longer-term planning of stadium development and everything else put to one side because it, it just wouldn't be able to be an immediate priority and, and you know, funding would, would become an issue. There might also have been question marks over Jesse Marsh. I don't think particularly with the club's board, but you'd have the issue of having a head coach who has been brought in to, to stop you going down and, and who's taking you down. And, and there is, you know, a kind of PR battle to be had with, with the fan base. As it is, I think we all expect Rafinha to go this summer. And I think there will have to be changes to the squad and there'll have to be signings, but it, it won't be the kind of ripping apart of things at the seams that, that would have happened if they'd gone down. Will they still be looking in similar markets to where they've looked in the past. I mean, you know, they, they they spent most of last summer and maybe, I don't know if, I don't know if they were in the January window as well, being linked with O'Brien at Huddersfield, didn't they? I mean, that felt, that felt like a, a transfer target they were consistently being linked with. Are they still going to be looking in, in similar markets? Because the other thing you could say is, and I, I, whenever I say this in, 
I'm sure I insult some fan base or other, but clubs of a similar size or clubs with similar attractions, you could say Villa, you could say Newcastle. Tottenham fans will probably say they're a bigger attraction, but they have Champions League football. There's a market, isn't there, that maybe Leeds have fallen slightly behind other clubs at their level. There's a definite style of recruitment at Leeds. And one of the big criticisms is that while they have spent money over the past two years and they haven't used player sales to fund that, I mean, they, they genuinely haven't sold anybody of any note. The impact of that investment has been pretty meagre. And actually, at this stage, you look at Rafinha as the only player since they were promoted who who's had a big impact on the back of his transfer. I think there are other good players who have come in, but they've been injured or they haven't been able to find form or whatever else. There have been some who've been poor. They, I think they will operate in much the same market. I mean, they, they have already got a deal in place for Brendan Aronson at, at RB Salzburg, who was somebody they went after in January and couldn't get at the time. Salzburg weren't willing to deal. It, it couldn't be done at that point. I think what they will have, um, now that they've switched head coaches and now that they have Marsh rather than Bielsa, they, they will be able to go at a, a broader pool of players. I think Marsh will be far more open to a wider suggestion of who they might sign than Bielsa, who was very specific about what he wanted, very sort of narrow in the parameters that he was willing to consider. And, and as a result, it left Leeds quite often with quite a narrow transfer, you know, list of transfer targets to go at. But I don't think predominantly the expenditure will change dramatically. And I think they'll still be in much the same field that they were in before. Uh, Phil, um, are you having Jesse Marsh? Uh, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm unconvinced. And, and I think that probably goes for most of the fan base as well. On the basis that he's kept them up, I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all that the club are, are going to persist with him. And he's got a, a long contract here. They, they they do seem to have a lot of faith in him. Victor Alta spent a long time deciding that, that he was the one that he wanted after Bielsa. Did a lot of analysis of him. It's They actually played pretty well yesterday. And I think, to be, to be fair to Marsh, and I've been quite critical of some of his tactics, that was a, a big pressure day. At Brentford and he did come up with a system that worked he did come up with a performance that, that got them over the line and it was a really brave call in particular to play Greenwood in the centre of midfield but it's definitely been a struggle to move from one tactical system that was so ingrained Bielsa's to the tactical system that Marsh wants and the football will have to be better next season absolutely no doubt it's, it's, it's very hard to to draw judgment on him at the moment. And I think you always have to accept that coming in at the point where he did, particularly replacing the head coach who who he was replacing, it, it felt like a bit of a hospital pass. Obviously, you said Rafinha is likely to go out. Leeds have some high-value players there. Obviously, Calvin Phillips, a lot of speculation about him. I think the goalkeeper, there's probably a market for as well, Melier, though maybe not this summer. Would they sell Phillips and Rafinha or is it one or the other? I think they'd be reluctant to sell both. Um, as I said, had they gone down, you'd have found it impossible to see a yeah. scenario where those two would have stayed. And I think Melier probably falls into the, the category of player who would say, I'm not sure this is the level for me, given given my stock and reputation. Rafinha, we do expect to go. I think it's it's probable, if not, not very likely, that it will be Barcelona um, for him if, if he does go. But the difference with Leeds staying up is that Barcelona will have to meet their asking price as opposed to being able to, to use the, the buyout clause that was there if, if they got relegated. With Phillips, I think there's probably a higher chance that he does stay. I can't see the Man United link coming to anything because it seems too political to me for somebody like Phillips, who who has such strong Leeds roots. But I do wonder about Manchester City. I do think that's one to keep an eye on because they will look to replace Fernandinho. They do like Phillips. And I think 
that's the sort of offer where if that was made and that opportunity was there for him, it becomes very difficult to begrudge him that because as much as you want to keep him, everybody is, and this includes the fans as well, they, they are pretty appreciative of the fact that Phillips could and, and probably should go on to, to bigger things at some stage. Given that, and I mean, if you lose Rafinha and maybe lose Phillips as well, I mean, that rebuild is huge um, in terms of the pressure that would be on Victor Orta. I, th- I presume they've already got people in mind that they could go and get. But, you know, I also look at Furpo, Rodrigo, Cock, that they've been poor signings, really, when you think about the, about the investment. Is there still sort of full faith that Victor Orta will, will be trusted to do that? There's far more pressure on them. I mean, I don't see Orta going anywhere. I think he is very much a kind of intrinsic part of the, the Radrazani regime. I think in, when it comes to Robin Cock, he's had a lot of injuries and that is probably, I, I still feel like him that, with him that to a large extent we've not been able to see enough of him to know if, if he is good enough for this level and I still think he could be Furpo has not been a good sign in this season Rodrigo just doesn't look like it's going to work and, and has been you know on face value an expensive mistake I mean there are players out there that they like so they, they were very big on Noah Lang um, the, the Dutch winger at Club Bruges and, and you know the sort of player they could go for if Rafinha was, was to leave I think the challenge of replacing Rafinha and Phillips isn't financial particularly because they would pull in um, big transfer fees. It's the knowledge that you've got two players there who, when they're in form and, and at the best, are going to deliver for you consistently. Rafinha does, Phillips always did under, under Bielsa. So you're not only trying to replace them with you know bodies, plain and simple, you're trying to replace them with players who can do the same consistently and, and play at the same level at, at what is a pretty demanding club with a, a pretty demanding crowd, as, as everybody's discovered this season. So that I, I think there's a lot to do to the squad. I do think there is. I, I don't think this time they can get away with doing a couple like they did last summer. I think they have to be pretty brutally honest about what's gone on over the past nine months and accept that the squad was too small and when it came to it, it just wasn't adequate. Phil, relax, enjoy your summer and come back looking <laughs> uh, 15 years younger for the start of next season. It can be done. Thank it you. It can be done. <laughs> That's it. If you want to read more on all of the stories we've discussed today on The Athletic, then you can subscribe for just a pound a month. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. And I'll be back on Thursday on this feed with Matt Slater for the Business of Sport pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.